you seekers, explorers and renegades out there. Welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. Today's topic of uh, judgment can be triggering to a lot of people because uh, the judge or the judgment exists within us all. And uh, it's probably most triggering to those of us that deny that judgment existing within us. So whether we're judging ourselves or we're judging others, doesn't matter. It still exists within us. And our judge within us tends to be a rather ugly character. And uh, how big of an influence and how big of a barrier it is within our lives uh, all depends on how influential it is over our lives. So the judge will probably never ever disappear from our lives, but we can diminish its influence over us and diminish its voice. So it just becomes that white noise in the background and we are not really being influenced by it in our lives. The first step to diminishing its voice is to accept and realize that we do have the judge within us, even though we walk around saying that, oh, I'm not judgmental, I'm not judgmental but to really look within us and uh, find its voice and re- allow it to reveal itself to you in its all, all its ugliness, as it were. And uh, once we get to that stage, then uh, we can work on it. But the challenge is to first allow it to reveal itself. And that's where this discussion coming up now might uh, help a lot of you and uh, allow you to take those first steps to ask that question. Who is my judge and what does it look like? So I hope you will get a lot out of this discussion and uh, enjoy. Tammy Hoag, uh, she wrote a thriller called The Dark Horse and the quote in that was, uh, we never know the quality of someone else's life, but we seldom resist the temptation to assume and pass judgment. So when we look at the dictionary and look at uh, the verb to judge, it's to form an opinion or a conclusion about someone or something, right? Now, so when we pass judgment, we, we use our past experience and to form an opinion about that person or that event or whatever it may be. So the, the opinion is always based on uh, our experiences with, uh, in life. Uh, so, you know, it might be our religious upbringing, society we grew up in, our cultural background, but the opinion always has a foundation in that. If we didn't have any experiences, we wouldn't be able to have an opinion because there would be nothing to base it on. Um, so this goes back to wives. Uh, I always say that our current, we, we always view our current, our future uh, experiences through the lens or the filter of our past experiences, which is why it's so important for us to go back and heal those past experiences uh, so that we can view our present moment and our future with, uh, with bright eyes, as it were. So when we're looking at judgment as an opinion, it does strike me, and it it kind of came out of, uh, I was listening to the Chris Evans morning show on the radio, which I listen to every morning. It's, uh, it's very 
shan't say enlightened, but he's uh, he's definitely on a uh, uh, on a self improvement or self development path, and um, and they were talking about judgment as. You know, he was talking to someone from a rock band and the guy was saying, well, you know, when we have opinions about other people, we are essentially passing judgment. And that's kind of interesting if you, because you go throughout your day and yes, if you, I feel if you do it maliciously, then you are passing that judgment. But where is the border between, you know, is there a border between opinion and judgment, or is there opinions that we can part, uh, we can share without passing judgment? So I think that it's an important thing to start off with a distinction about the thing having to do with the reptilian brain, with the amygdala, and then having to do with the the conscious mind, etc. Because if he's talking about that, I understand that, but that's also based on conditioning. And when you're an infant and you're born, you basically you don't have any differentiation on those type of things. You have learned opinions, et cetera, about you know what people are, who the people are, et cetera. But when you have your amygdala, which is the fight or flight that puts you into the adrenaline into your body, that's because of the fact that in 2021, we're still not clear as to whether or not there's a saber-toothed tiger that's coming after us or whether or not there's somebody that's a friend or foe. And not only that, but also it's like in biology, with human procreation, there's also the other thing that something kind of random is that cavemen generally looked at the fact that they looked at bio biological symmetry of what's you know called the waist to hip ratio with females. Because if you saw a female that had a fat middle, it basically meant she was already pregnant. So you met, went on to the next one. So there's a lot of different things in the sense of where there's also the autonomous brain, which are sizing up different things. So it's like, not everybody knows exactly what their opinion is as to why they have certain preferences, but there are certain things that are more appealing than other things to people. And oftentimes it has to do with your gene pool. So I totally agree with you in the sense of where judgment is based on conditioning in the sense of where I think a lot of times what happens is that the inner critic is oftentimes very mean spirited and can also say some really harsh things. And so that's the part about where you, I think when you make friends with your inner critic, then you no longer have those judgments of where you say mean things even in your mind. And that's where you get to the point of where that your thoughts, your words, and your actions that you can be in charge of. But certain things are biological, et cetera. And so I think that those are distinctions in the sense of where it's, there is a differentiation between those. Uh, that's interesting to look at the biology there. That's very interesting. Thank you, Barbie. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to look at the biology. I want to look at it from, from another angle too, the, um, the idea of judgment versus opinion. I think it depends on the kind of opinion you are passing and how we've been socialized to pass certain opinions like good and bad in, in Western culture. So there was a, a psychology study in the University of Colorado where they looked at literature and the frequency of words that classify and judge people. And there was a correlation between um, violence in cultures where people were socialized to think of people in terms of good and bad, like characters in literature or in TV, you can see it in American TV shows or, you know, the, the climax is like the good guys get the bad guys, right? And when kids play, um, there's always good guys and bad guys. And what that does is passing an opinion like in this binary way that um, doesn't allow you to be vulnerable and doesn't allow you to see the humanness in the other person. So there's this 
division. And when you have that, I think when you see the wrongness, when you judge good and bad in someone's adversaries, then, then you, you don't go behind what is behind every, every conflict, right? Behind every judgment is like unmet needs, unmet um, your own pain or your own um, desires that are not being met. Yeah, that's uh, also very interesting, that uh, dichotomy of uh, good versus bad. So, for example, if I share an opinion about someone uh, to a friend, not in the in, in a mean-spirited way or anything, uh, but it's, it, say, someone... Um, Someone is uh, low on energy or something like that. And I share it with a friend of mine saying, oh, this person is not doing very well. Uh, you know, uh, it's a pity, what have you. So it's quite neutral, but it's still, you know, it's from my perspective and it's my opinion. Am I then judging this person or is it... I, I, to me, I suppose it does come down to what is the motivation for me sharing this information? What is the motivation for me to have this information or uh, quote-unquote opinions coming up, right? So it's, it is that that could be a distinction. I don't know about that, but let's see. Jesse, what do you think? Yes. Um, I believe that maybe that has to do with the word judgment itself because there's some negative connotation in it. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think that's necessarily so. Uh, we can see judgment too as, a, as, as our inclination to find some clarity on things, you know. Uh, that's why we form opinions, you know, to get some clarity. So I think that's, that's where I'm just thinking right now mm -hmm. about it, you know, because there, there is no, there is a negative connotation, but, but at the same time, I believe it's our inclination to, to form a more clear uh, sense of whatever we're looking at. Yes, that's interesting. So, but at the same time, if I, if I go out and same example, I talk to my friend and this friend then feeds back to me. It's like, oh yeah, he, uh, he cheated on his wife. That's why he's, uh, he's being uh, down. And then it's clearly down to my own process. If I consider, if I take that information and I say, okay, well, that's his part or if I then feed back, oh, that's horrible, you know, then oh, am I then moving into the judgmental uh, kind of process within myself because it's based on my own, my own process and my own opinion and my own experiences, right? So is it the neutrality of dealing with the quote-unquote bad information? Is that what then relieves us from judgment so I, I think that's a really interesting question and i think it's true that people are inherently intuitive they sense the motivation behind any anything that is and even if you look at phrase like the, the opposite maybe or somewhere on the other end of the spectrum then judgment 
you you can praise someone to celebrate them and and their accomplishments or or whatever it is or you can praise someone to control them or to persuade them or to motivate them and i think if it's just if it's the latter people might initially respond like if you praise a child and say oh oh great job they might work harder but eventually if they understand what your your intent is that behavior that that you're trying to elicit will will decline over time yeah and that's the uh the the reward system or the reward system if you like Eureka, I, I i disagree in that because ultimately the the whole concept of prizing is actually something of where i mean anything having to do with the judgment basis on that is a form of judgment because you're basically trying to reward certain behaviors that you find palatable and that you'd like to see as opposed to the ones that you don't and i think that unfortunately i mean even right now we're becoming a much more global society which is a beautiful thing but if people have any kind of religious or cultural norms about let's say you know when people are married and then they want to raise children together well initially there's no obstacle and there's no issue because ultimately it's just the two of them and they might be able to get past any kind of judgments from their families and you know they get married anyway but then when they raise their kids the question is like well what is what is the religion of the child and how are you going to raise the child and how are you going to do this child etc etc based on the norms of the two different families that come from different places. And it's almost like a lot of times people don't necessarily know that they're getting into those judgment spaces until they're in those moments. And I know one of my favorite shows on, on TV is, is 90 Day Fiance on TLC. It's an American show, basically like these people who literally have to go through different things with you know dowries, with buying goats and water buffaloes in Thailand and other things like that, because that's part of their cultural norms and there's an expectation of that but you know if the person is american they have no idea as to what that is but it's like the family will be in complete judgment if they don't do that and even watching like priyanka chopra um and he married nick um whatever his last name is jonas. Like, yeah nick jonas and they were talking about the fact that they had the traditional you know indian wedding for seven days and how beautiful that was etc because he wanted to have her cultural ideologies on that kind of stuff too so it's like when it's pleasant it's great but when there are those kind of arguments those things can be very divisive in a family and they can make really really huge rifts of where the point where they cause severe conflicts so that's something too in the sense of where because we do live in certain societies and in the past you know getting kicked out of a society meant that you actually were in in physical peril you even think about you know pirate ships of where if someone wasn't liked at all what do you do they walk the plank and you jump off the boat and you're dead. So that's where a lot of times these judgments are oftentimes aware people also are unconscious of them, but they keep them to themselves because they don't want to share them with other people get bigger. Well, that, that is one of the challenges, isn't it? That we, we, we identify to ourselves when we start reflecting on our own experiences that, ooh, do I really think this way? Do I really feel this way? Um, and that we actually start working towards imp becoming uh, the optimal versions of, of ourselves by removing judgment. Um, so the just moving this uh, another step, uh, or kick, kicking it up a notch, as it were. Um, so we look at divisive uh, issues in society where you have take the vaccines for example some people don't want to take the vaccine there's some people that think everybody should take the vaccine 
So now here, and this is where the, we come into the territory of truth being a paradox, because what's my truth is not necessarily going to be someone else's truth. So what is judgment then? Who is judging and who's not judging, who's just expressing their opinion? Uh, are we, if we look at the situation in society where there are many truths around a single subject, how do we move into something like that as non-judgmental? And is there someone, you know, what, what is the humane <laughs> uh, and uh, kind of compassionate aspect of something like that? How do we move into that? I think a lot of it is really analyzing your own behavior. It's analyzing your own thoughts and words and actions and starting to see that is, is this true, is it necessary, is it kind? Those are all like basically very important things to start looking at. And from that perspective, it's almost like what I find is that, especially with the inner critic, because I think the inner critic is where a lot of the judgment starts from. So that's why I'm referring to it again. Mm -hmm. But it's like, once you start hearing it, you also, and this is going to sound kind of funny, you don't judge the inner critic. You don't tell the inner critic that it's wrong for having those, those thoughts. So like in, in Buddhism, they talk about the monkeys of the mind when you're meditating and that it's just like, you imagine that they're like floating clouds that just go by. So you're thinking about like, you know, meditation, meditation, everything's nice. And then all of a sudden you hear about like, did I turn off the stove? It's like, <laughs> bye-bye, just let it go by, let it go by, let it go by. But you don't go, oh, you idiot. Why did you think about that? I'm trying to meditate. What are you doing? It's like, it's that kind of thing of where it becomes this really strange inner dialogue for people. And that's like the, the chatter that they can't get out of their heads. And I know, especially like, you know, when I'm working with clients, a lot of times it's having to do with those opinions or judgments that come from other people. So for a lot of people, they're running around having like, you know, I, I make a, a joke, but it's like, you know, don't let your mother live rent free in your head, you know, where they're just constantly chatting you and telling you from their perspective. So it's also kind of like taking dominion and sovereignty over your own inner, inner space and stating, is this what I think about? Is this why I think that? Why do I think of that? And I don't think that most people are that conscious of where they're really analyzing the reason why they think things. They just say, oh, I like purple. Why'd you like purple? Because I like it. They don't distinct the fact, you know, that maybe when they were five years old, they got a purple cake and then it made purple the favorite color for the rest of their lives because that was where they had the original thought. So that's the part about where the intentional life, the conscious life, where you're really, really looking at it, not that you're scrutinizing yourself or magnifying yourself, but just when you hear a thought, you just say, and it's not one that you agree with personally, you just say, you know what? I really don't agree with that thought and I'm choosing not to think it. So then you, you, you're you actually speaking to it and having a dialogue as opposed to just allowing it to unconsciously run your life. Well, that, that's an interesting aspect of it as well with the uh, subconscious programming that form, informs the inner critic to create that, um, that judgmental kind of energy within ourselves. Diana, go ahead. Even look at even look at brands. If you look at brands, those are all specifically intentionally made to do that. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but like for example, with lollipops and things like that, they will actually hook children up to EKG machines to see which flavors will light up their brains. So those are also a lot of things too, where you don't necessarily know why you like Nestle, you don't necessarily know why you like milk or chocolate, you don't know why you like this, this, and this. But a lot of it is very, very much manipulative. And even in the 1970s, they actually got rid of a lot of the subliminal advertising mm -hmm. because people were seeing all these different kinds of things that were manipulating your mind. 
So that's also a part of it too, in the sense of where we are bombarded every single day with all sorts of things that are deliberately intentionally made people that have us make a judgment or to make us purchase something or want this or get this or have this. So that also makes a huge difference because it's, it's that thing of where then again, going back to you being conscious and intentional means that you can at least make up your own mind as opposed to having your mind made up for you. Sorry if I jumped on you, Anna, apologize. <laughs> That's all right, Barbara. Uh, go, go ahead, Diana. Um, <clears throat> actually, Barbie stimulated a question I have. This rarely happens to me, but there are times when I have a thought totally stimulated by my amygdala. And I am aware and conscious that the judgment I'm making of a situation is totally my the the correct hemisphere of my brain i think it's the left brain um judging a situation as dangerous when it's not dangerous and yet even with that consciousness even with the choice i don't want to think that way there's still some emotion lingering in there and i haven't fully figured out how to disperse the emotion i mean one of the things i add in is a little more meditation but I, i i guess i'd love some input on that yeah, I mean, in terms of the emotion, the emotion you can't control. The emotion is uh, evoked by, I, you know, an external influence on in, uh, internal thought, uh, be it a memory or something like that. So the the emotion always has to be given space and acknowledgement. It's when you try to swat it away and deny it, that it becomes suppressed. Um, so it's allowing a space and allowing it, uh, just observing it from that perspective of your awareness gives it that space to actually move through your body. So, um, you know, in uh, psychology, they talk about moving through your, your experiences or your emotions, right? So allowing that emotion to rise up and move through your body um, but then and this is where we talked about triggers um, last week I think it was right and the this is where the you can use that emotion then to because you are aware of your thoughts and you are aware of the emotion you can say okay well ask yourself where does this emotion come from and that will then trigger your, if you ask your brain a question it is compelled to give you an answer so that then allows you to open that door to find the breadcrumbs that lead back to the original sensitizing event. And healing the original sensitizing event, that will then uh, prevent you from having those uh, thoughts going forward. Does that make sense, Diana? Yes, actually, A, I needed that reminder because obviously when you get caught up in a, well, not obviously, for me, <laughs> when I get caught up in um, an emotion that I'm not, able to consciously get rid of I forget things like sending love to the emotion and letting it float away and things like that um, so that is very helpful because and obviously at this point I'm still somewhat incompetent in that area so thank you well, I never said mindfulness and uh, improvement or self-actualization was easy <laughs> <laughs> that's true we're all still uh, very much beginners at it um, not quite at the level of Buddha or Jesus or anyone else of that stature. So, um, but one day, one day, Diana. Uh, there you go. 
<laughs> so it's the um yeah so the the idea of like barbie was talking about this uh, kind of subliminal messaging or subliminal programming that we have from that goes into this uh, subconscious from when we're young or through advertising or you know what have it what what it might be one thing that comes to mind is when as parents we teach you know we talk to our children and i have daughters so you go oh oh you're such a good girl right then that from my perspective for, or from when i deliver it it's very well meaning and it's uh, as part of the encouragement that you know continue doing that but psycho or research have shown you know if you promote that you know you're being a good girl the idea of good girl is open for interpretation right so then the child goes through life trying to be a good girl and that is then uh, it comes down to a level of judgment go ahead barbie well, and it's something absolutely, and what a good girl is and a bad girl is obviously a very far, but I, I think that, you know, like, I know I've always been very, very fascinated with fashion and looking back in the early 20th century or in the early 1900s, they started having these fashion shows. And unfortunately, the women that were built, you know, with the, the brick, you know, what house, they literally were getting all the attention as opposed to the clothes. So instead, they decided that the aesthetic should be that the women should look like clothes hangers and they should be tall and thin so that the feature could be on the specifics of the clothing. And if you look at a Mae West or a Marilyn Mon Monroe, et cetera, et cetera, it's like those are considered to be, you know, ideal body types from a, you know, throughout history with goddessy type of body shapes with, with curves. But if women are taught that you're supposed to look like a model and you're supposed to starve yourself and have your hip bones sticking out, and you have to make it that your clavicle is like, you know, your bones and your neck are sticking out, et cetera, and that's attractive, et cetera. Then you have this whole thing about where there's this judgment putting it out in, into the world that this is how you're supposed to be. And so that's very, very confusing if you have from a bi biological perspective of where you're told that this is what's attractive based on a narrative that's put into all these different like, you know, magazines and, and popular culture, but then in the real world that that's not true. And I mean, even in some African countries, it's like if there's there are certain women, I mean, they actually go into these fattening huts and they sit there and they drink uh, cream from the cow for, on what that is or, or not. But it's still it's a very interesting thing in the sense of where we have narratives that get put out as to what is popular, what's in, what's out, what color is great, what fashion is cool, what, do you wear bell bottoms, do you wear this, do you wear that? So, you know, all, a lot of those things basically tells you, I mean, you can oftentimes size up a person within 60 seconds to decide whether or not they're in with the modern trends, if they're out with it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff of where those are filters that are coming along. And that's to what like Diana was talking with the amygdala. Those are the things of where we size people up from a scanning thing to see friend or foe. But then we have all this other information that's going up. And I know Sherry has spoken a lot of times about you know, a lot of the attention that she received as a beautiful girl when, you know, she was younger and things like that. And how those are the kinds of things of where these, these judgments that you perceive are based on your own personal experience, but then you see another thing on the screen and it's different. And that's one thing I think is really beautiful right now about the cultural 
shift to diversity because since we have so many models around the world now that are every single shape, color, size, hair texture, whatever, et cetera, there's no longer this like total standard of beauty that states that it's one, one palette shade. It's like all beauty, beauty comes in all shapes and sizes, all shapes and colors and things like that. And that's the part I think that is also a very interesting, you know, shift in our, in our society because there are, are beautiful people in every single culture. Absolutely, and beauty ideals, as you mentioned, are shifting from country to country, uh, from village to village in some cases. Uh, so yeah, I know some uh, African villages, they you put these neck rings on to elongate the necks, right? Masai. Uh, Yep. Yeah, that's the Maasai uh, tribes. And uh, that's then considered, you know, the, the height of beauty, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the question becomes, because we are so bombarded with all this uh, fodder for judgment, right? So through advertising, through the media, you know, we are told who the good guy and the bad guy are, right? Uh, so how do we move past judgment? So how do we walk down the street without immediately when we see people, it becomes that like immediate reaction of if we see someone who's uh, overweight or someone who's scruffy or whatever it is, instead of passing judgment on the outside saying, that's a beautiful person on the inside. How do we get past that? So, you know, what you said, Barbie, really is resonates with me when, even if you think back in history, like to the Renaissance, when they painted women, they always had a bit of a, of, of a belly. They were rounder and fuller, and that was considered beauty. And in my own family, so I'm, I'm Indian, and, and um, when I, I'm lighter skinned than my mother, and so it was a celebration that I, I had a lighter shade. So there's this shadism that goes on that's associated with power. And when my youngest daughter was born, she's very, very fair. And <clears throat> it was actually my, my grandmother said, oh, like her, and, and the translation literally is, oh, her skin is so clean. So it, 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 um, it because we've associated this with colonial power and that white is, is beautiful and all these things change. And I think that when you think about judgment as concrete and fixed in time, that is a problem because things shift over time. And so it, it shifts the context and, and um, changing dynamics in society. So I think we need to be really um, aware when we speak that our language is an imperfect instrument. And if we talk about like stability and, and things that are static and constant, um, we forget that the whole world changes, like the universe changes, we're changing minute to minute. And and when we are more cognizant of that, then I think we can release some of those judgments, knowing that nothing is static, nothing is forever. No, and I mean, you look at uh, white people get out, going down to the sun and, you know, caught, <laughs> trying to get mel uh, melanoma, uh, you know, burning themselves to a crisp uh, just to get that darker skin because uh, they feel healthier, right? It's a... Uh, so it's totally the flip side. If you if you're in Scandinavia, <laughs> you know they uh, in the wintertime they fly out to Thailand to lay on the beach to get a tan, right? To to get darker. Whereas in in Asia or in I don't know 
I suppose it is in India too, where they have, as Barbie mentioned, the skin bleaching products to get fairer skin. Um, so it's it is that interesting flipping the the script depending on the cultures you go to. Well, I think too, it's like one of the things that is so the flipping the script part about it that I think is the best part is the fact that self-acceptance is the salve that enables you to be able to get away from the judgment. Because if you're not picking yourself apart every day, all day, then you're not oftentimes running around doing that with for other people. So I know that I, a lot of women clients that I work with specifically because one of my messages in my work is body acceptance and positivity to listen to women who are in their 60s and 70s who say, you know, I am actually prizing my body and I'm actually loving it and I'm not judging my wrinkles and I'm not looking at this and not looking at that. It's like, it's the level of self-satisfaction that they have where it's like, it takes the edge off of the anxiety that they feel and all of these like extra little, little chit chats that are going on in their heads. And it's almost like what I hear from them is that by not criticizing themselves constantly, it almost allows them to relax for the first time. It's like, they can just sit down and be like, you know what, this is my body and I'm sitting here and I'm doing whatever I'm doing as opposed to, oh, you know, do I have a fat roll or, oh, do, are my wrinkles showing or, oh, this, that, whatever, et cetera. Because it's like, people get so, you know, fixated on that. And if you look at like the plastic surgery in, industry, you know, I, I just never, I don't want to get, you know, it, like needles stuck in my lips and I don't want to have all sorts of things. I mean, botulism is what Botox is. And every time you see that in a can, it tells you that it's poisonous and you need to throw it away. Why would you shoot that into your face? I just, doesn't make any sense to me at all. But, you know, I mean, if that's what people want to do, then, you know, more power to them, but it's still the kind of thing of where it's like, I really, really think that self-acceptance is the number one thing that you can do. And I, I practice a ritual of mirror work of where it's like, you know, when you're, when you take a shower, you need to really, really just, instead of looking at the flaws and the things that you're not happy about, because there's always going to be those instead, you find one thing about your body and say, wow, look at you. You're so strong. And you took me here and you've done this and you've done that. And it's like, I think the people who are in self-acceptance of your skin tone, your size, your, whatever it is, generally those people, I don't find they're running around judging other people because they don't need to because they've made peace with themselves. So I think if you make peace with yourself, you're your own microcosm, you're your own universe. So make peace with yourself and feel good about yourself. doesn't mean you have to sit there and be arrogant and think that you're perfect, but make peace with yourself. And then I feel like you can then bring that out to the world. And that just, there's, there's something about that is so beautiful because if we're all walking around like that, it would just be such a much more harmonious place. And I think the key word there is compassion, isn't it, Barbie? Absolutely. Compassion for yourself and your journey and your everything else. You know, I mean, I have I have scars in my body from from unfortunately things that, you know, surgeries that I had to have that were not plastic surgery. But by the same token, it's like you have to love your scars. You have to make peace with them. You have to, you know, if you have this or you have that, et cetera, it's still it's like this body is the vehicle that walks you around this planet every single day and you take care of it the best that you can and have compassion for the fact that, you know, if you have an illness, you take care of your illness. If you have this, you take care of that. You, you feed it, you clothe it and do what you can to be able to live the best life that you possibly can. Yeah. One practice that I used uh, to, 
to kind of work out my judgment, especially, you know, on the looking at the surface of people. So if I would see a scruffy person, oftentimes uh, before, it, the immediate thought would be, oh, that's terrible, right? Or, oh, uh, that person's dirty or something like that, right? So my process was to go into this uh, idea of compassionate questioning. So when I would have those thoughts come up, I would go, okay, well, I realize I have that thought, but what about this person? What has this person gone through in order to end up in this state? What is, what are the experiences this person? And once you start asking those questions, I feel even, even if I don't have full uh, self-acceptance or full uh, self-compassion, I can then connect with that person and understand, even though I'm not interacting with them, but I can build a story that uh, gives me an opportunity to understand that I actually don't know anything about this person. So there's no reason for me to judge them because I don't know their story, right? So that then helps me to deprogram myself from all the programming in through the media of, you know, you know, body imagery and who, who's a successful person and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I, I, I sort of like what you both said uh, previously because, uh, you know, there, there is a, a way of testing judgment, you know, and that is that feeling that you get, like the pride feeling. There's some sort of pride feeling that it, there's a superior thing or a better thing, you mm -hmm. know. So when you're talking, when uh, Barbie was talking about, you know, self-acceptance, you know, um, and, and, and you moving from, from, from what I believe it's pride into compassion, into humility, you know, that is the transformation. So we identify um, the judgment, right? Uh, and as you were saying previously at the beginning, the purpose, you know, the intention, the purpose of why I'm saying this, what I'm thinking this, because it could be just by yourself. You don't have to say it to all the world to become a judgment. It's, it's, it starts internally, right? So once we identify that, that pride, that, that thing, we can just move, like you said, in compassion, not only towards ourselves, but towards uh, the other. So I think that was beautiful, that movement. Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate the input. Yeah, this is um, this is a subject that um, I feel extreme guilt when I find myself in judgment. Um, so I don't do it very often, but um, I'm having a really hard time with my granddaughter and her uh, chosen significant other they have managed, they, they now have two very small children and neither one of them can keep a job. Every job they get is either, there's always something wrong with it. <laughs> and that's where my judgment comes in. And I understand that um, they've both had troubled backgrounds I, it's one of those things where I really do understand who they are and, and where they're coming from. 
and I just want I just want to smack them both. And uh, I mean, I I find they, they had those kids in a motel, and um, I managed to get them into a place where they're they're supposed to just basically pay the utilities, and they still can't do it. And I said, Judge, you know, um, I haven't figured out how to not be there. And 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 then I like I, said, I feel I feel quite guilty when I do these things. And um, I don't know. Yeah, the shame and the guilt, because I, I just on a on a very much more surface level. And uh, your challenge, Cherry. You know, when I when I walk in the town and I see someone and I have that thought come up, yeah, it, you get that feeling of, oh, why do I need to think that way? You know, it's like you get that shame for you start beating yourself up, right? Um, and but that's when when I use that technique for myself is to start with that compassionate questioning. And that then allows me to know that, okay, well, I'm at least trying to do something about it to, so that I am trying to uh, optimize myself and my opportunities to, to be non-judgmental, but knowing that it's a process. And the only thing we can do is to do our best on a daily basis and our best today is going to be different from our best tomorrow. Uh, so I think if you, if you move into shame and guilt, then you're kind of uh, uh, worsening the, the, the challenge for yourself because then yeah. you're adding additional uh, negative energies to it. It becomes a process of acceptance for me in a way that I accept that I'm not perfect. I accept that I have thoughts that come from my uh, kind of shoot up from my subconscious and that I can't necessarily always control it, but it's how I respond to them and how I move forward with them that then uh, allows me to alleviate the, the guilt and the shame. Does that make sense, Sherry? Yeah. And I think what really gets me about this is that when I see somebody on, when we have, we have quite a few homeless in my area, when I see them, I automatically assume that something horrible went wrong. I, I mean, I don't make, I guess that's a judgment in itself. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 I have nothing but compassion for most of the world. And I think that's, I think that's possibly why I tend to feel guilty because I do have compassion for most, most of the world. I mean, well, well, we can take this example here of your granddaughter and her spouse. Uh, am I correct in saying that you, you, your judgment crops up because you feel they are continuously just making poor choices for themselves and they're the people or the children they're responsible for oh yeah so it's the so then can you ask yourself why why do they why do they not feel empowered to make uh, healthy choices for themselves 
Well, mostly because they don't, it's always somebody else's fault. Okay, so why don't they feel empowered to uh, take responsibility? Why don't they understand that they have the personal power of choice? Interesting. Um, I, 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 like I said, I, I understand their backgrounds. And um, I, I find that uh, my, my children often felt that I was uh, more, I was heavier on them than I was on, on most other people because I, I, I suppose if I really thought about it, which I'm doing right now, <laughs> uh, with my kids, it was all, you know, it was always, well, they'll say, well, so-and-so and so-and-so and so, I says, and I'll go, well, that person, that person has, has a much more difficult time. And I think that possibly if, if they are uh, mine and they screw things up terribly, I, there's a part, maybe I feel that it reflects on me. The fact of the matter is it, it doesn't matter how well we know someone else's story. Like I know my, my children's story intimately, but at the same time, I don't know the chemical composition of their body and their brains. Yeah. And I haven't actually seen the world through their eyes. So I don't understand exactly their thought processes and how their uh, process works internally as to how they react to the world. Because I might have said something very benign, and I most certainly did at some point uh, when they were younger or even nowadays, something that I consider to be very benign, but they then react to it from the perspective of, you know, 10-year-old or 14-year-old. Yeah, you never know how a kid sees something. No, and that's carried up through, through the ages. So something uh, that we could then say, well, these people have it so, so, uh, so much worse than, when, than we do. It's always from the perspective of the, uh, the person experiencing it. So it's never going to be worse than it is for that person. And then yeah. if they feel that, oh, I shouldn't worry about mine because people, some other people have it worse, then they start feeling guilty for that. And they don't get to express themselves properly because they have this guilt. Well, I shouldn't feel, I, I shouldn't, uh, you know, uh, express myself about this because there are other people that are suffering. But it doesn't matter because it's the person that experienced the trauma. It's always going to be worse for them. Does that make sense? Yes. So Barbie, you have uh, something to contribute there? Well, I just think that also the whole thing about children and different generations, et cetera, it's like, I mean, I think prior to the 1960s, things were pretty much, you know, like the same, same, same. A lot of the experiences people had were over centuries. They didn't really change very much after the industrial revolution, et cetera. But now you have this hyper activity of growth that there are 
you know, there, there are no children that have been born without electronics. These children that are born now are complete digital natives. And a lot of times, you know, you see children intuitively that can just, you know, they don't even know how to read and they're doing all sorts of things on, on internet and, and little devices and things like that. And to some people, that's a good thing. To some people, it's a bad thing. But it also means in the sense of where when parents feel a lot of times that I think that they are experts as to what their children went through because they grew up too. But the, by the same token, the childhood that children are experiencing today is completely different in a lot of ways than any other time in the, in the amount of history. If you're in the first world and you have you know, internet and, and Wi-Fi and other things like that. So that's a lot of times too, where I think that even you know, parents will think that they know what good schooling is based on what they did before. But we are now right now preparing all sorts of children for 21st century jobs that haven't even been created yet. They haven't even been made yet, but yet the education system hasn't even been updated for mostly the last hundred years. And they're still training children for jobs that will no longer exist when they get older for a lot of things. And so I think that's also the part about when you look at judgment in the sense of where right now the experiences of children are in a brand new phase. Like to me, this is one of those phases. I don't know what they'll call it, but you know, when they talked about bronze ages and the golden age and the Renaissance and medieval times, it's like, this will be a particular time that will be named in history books as to what happened of where people went from a lot of things that were more agrarian and focused on book learning, et cetera. Whereas people like ourselves who are, you know, anybody over 40, we know what it be able to use books and technology. So it's like having those combinations, you know, if the electricity goes out, we can read a book. A child who's six or seven years old who has nothing but devices, they're going to freak out because it's going to be like, what do you mean there's no Wi-Fi? What do you mean I can't charge my phone? What do you mean I can't have this? So that's the other part too, in the sense of where having that perspective, I think of what happens a lot of times in judgment is that people think, well, I had a childhood. Well, I, well, I went through that. But by the same token, it's also, it's the flip side of the self-acceptance. It's also the acceptance of other people's journey and other people's paths. Those children are having their own experiences. And yes, you might have a reference point as to what they're going through, but you don't necessarily know what they're going through because you're not in that space. So it's like, honestly, I think that the best way to handle judgment is always through acceptance, acceptance and compassion of whatever is going on. And unfortunately, yes, there's going to be certain people that are going to behave in ways that you don't quite understand why they can't get their stuff together. But by the same token, it's like for a lot of people, they're doing the best that they can. And if you kind of have compassion for the fact that, you know, I think people say, you know, when people know better, they do better. And generally, if you know better, you can do better. And I look at situations in my own personal life where I look at the version of myself that I used to be, and I'm really grateful that I'm not that person any longer, but I still have a long way to go to be able to continue on to my own journey and be an acceptance of that. So I think the acceptance part is really, really important in the sense of where if it's not your life and you're not directly affected by it, et cetera, it's also having that compassion and acceptance where it's like, okay, I don't agree with it. You don't have to agree with it, but you still have that acceptance of where this is how they're choosing to live their lives. Yeah. Just let, let it, uh, let them be as it were. Um, and, uh, yeah, I suppose we, our generation, we don't know how to chisel, uh, chisel higher glyphs out of the stone. So we, we're missing out a little bit too, but. Uh, or making. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, each generation is going to be different. And that's, I think, what we, 
you know, when our parents said, compared their childhood to our childhood, that's what we need to bring forward and say, well, my parents did this. That doesn't mean I need to do it. It's my children, right? And that's mm-hmm. part of the whole idea of conscious parenting. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times we do, and this probably is a whole subject all on its own, but we do judge our children because we consider or we, we want our children to be little adults or little people and not children so that we, we do speak to them in a way that is judgmental because they aren't, they aren't adults. They, they are children with the psychological, the mental development and the evolution of children. So they're going to see the world from that perspective. They're not going to see it from the perspective of an adult. Um, but we tend to reprimand them based on uh, them being an adult at that time. Um, I think the best tool that I have really to uh, work with judgment is uh, the four agreements, uh, the book four agreements, uh, where you have the, that you don't make assumptions about anybody else, that you don't take anything personally, you do your best and you use your words impeccably. So your words or your thoughts impeccably, right? If you can make those four agreements with you every single day to show up in the world as that, then your judge, uh, your ability to judge people uh, negatively will diminish uh, gradually, I feel. So that's uh, a book that has been instrumental for me to uh, diminish my my judgment of others at least so did that help you sherry yes and i just finished that book um the other day not that there's much finishing it's very short yeah Uh, and um yeah i i i really i i really do need to um and the other thing that, that strikes me is that if i can't if i can't do enough to take them out of this situation that they're in, that weighs heavy on me too. And I really can't, there's no. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it's one of those things that I just have to take a deep breath and, and go, you know what, it's not your life. And uh, just, just really and truly let it go. Yeah, no, we're, as we said, it's, uh never said it was easy by the way barbie uh people who are over 60 came out with we we didn't have any calculators back then at all oh the horror horror. absolutely no calculators (laughs) yeah well we we weren't allowed calculators until high school anyway so we we had to use mental math all the way up through uh ninth year nine in school so <laughs> yeah, I, I think calculators are only are, are really should only be used to check your work do your work and then do when you're done you 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 check it with a calculator i agree um, but i'm not going to judge anyone for using a calculator right <laughs> yeah. so i'm going to go to reka go ahead 
Um, yeah, thank you. So, I, Sherry, I think too that you know you you have to be non-judgmental of, of yourself and just slow it down and look inside. Like you never can control somebody else without, and if you do, you're just going to brew resentment or shame or guilt in in them, and and just look what's the unmet need. And I think you were touching on that that you know maybe your unmet needs and your unmet feelings or your unidentified feelings and. And it, and it came at one point you said, well, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that it reflects poorly on me. So I would, I would consider slowing things and looking inwards and seeing what you can do to, to address your own self, because that's all we ever can do is to um, show up as our best self. And, and like Chris said, um, if you live your life by the four agreements, the book I, I, I love, I think that's, that's the best path to navigate life. And and the other, the other, the one thing I want to say before I have to go is um, one of the the Sufi poet Rumi mm-hmm. had um, a quote that probably most of you have heard that out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Yeah. And and I love that to um, to guide the way um, when I find myself becoming judgmental. I, it's a it's a great reminder of how to approach um, other people and how to to hold space for other people as well as for myself. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you, Rekha. Yes, I think that I like also the quote that the Dalai Lama says about the fact that kindness is my religion. And I think you should apply that to yourself and to others. And I think that ultimately it never costs anything extra to be nice to people. And ultimately, I think when you have that disposition you oftentimes smile more, you're more relaxed, and the world is a much brighter and sweeter place. Yeah, for sure. And I think once we go easy on ourselves, we go easy on others, right? Thank you, everybody, for showing up vulnerable and prepared to share of your wisdom and your challenges. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you next week. As you can hear, the... uh... There are different opinions and different approaches to the judge within each of us, and uh, that's because it, it uh, manifests itself uniquely within each and every one of us, so we are going to have that different approach, and all depends also if uh, that judge is pre- predominantly judging ourselves or others, or others through ourselves, or ourselves through others. In my coaching practice, I think the judge within us is uh, one of the predominant figures when we work on uh, on uh, finding the best version of ourselves because uh, obviously to find the best version of ourselves we have to discover the uh, uh, the counter perspective of ourselves and uh, so if this is a process and this is an aspect that you are interested in working on yourself uh, why don't uh, check us out and see if uh, the Alchemy Experience might be the place for you to explore this uh, judge further within yourself and uh, seeing how it affects your life. Uh, if you go to thealchemyexperience.co.uk, there's a link for you to take advantage of a 30-minute free consultation. Uh, it's down in the right-hand corner of the website, the link. And uh, then we can take it from there and see if we are the right place for you to explore this further within yourself.
Now, if I don't find you over there, I hope that you will uh, join us for our next uh, podcast here on the Alchemy Experience podcast. In the meantime, I wish you all the best and have a good one.